Well, you caught me taking my vest off. I knew that that wouldn't last. Thank you, Dan. All right. How are we doing, y'all? Good. Let's talk about change. Let's talk about what God wants us to, to do in our lives. You see, change is an interesting word. It, invo- it invokes all kinds of emotions, and most of them, well, it depends on what end of the change process you're on, what kind of emotion it invokes, whether it's negative or positive. Now, I like change, uh, I, as long as I'm in, I'm in control of it. If change is forced upon me, I don't particularly care for it. And as I get older, I start thinking about changes that may come in my future, like from time to time that I have to go to a nursing home. And I wonder, is that change in my future? How will I respond to that change? Uh, do y'all ever think like that? Or am I the only one that thinks like that? And you look ahead and you go, is that going to be my destiny or is it something else? Uh, there was a line in the Dave Ramsey thing that just showed here that just really kind of rackled me. I like Dave Ramsey. I'm not being critical of him. But he says, can you imagine getting to the end of your life and you have nothing to show for it? Guess what, y'all? Your hard work means nothing to God. Nothing. He is not impressed with your financial peace. He's impressed with your soul peace. Now, the whole process of financial peace is to get you out of bondage of debt so you can more freely serve Jesus, and that is a great goal. But I want to be reminded of you that this life, I want to remind you that this life is merely preparation for the next life. Are you all ready for that? And so there will be a change. God in his character, he never changes. He never does. He's what the theological word is immutable. He's immutable. He will not change. However, God in his movement for us is always changing. He never leaves us the same. Now, he loves us where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. He's always in the process of changing and building our lives. Corey Ten Boone said it this way, God is busy building a temple for himself out of the rough timbers of my soul. I like that, that God is busy. And when he's finished building the temple for himself out of the rough timbers of my soul, I shall be with him glorified forever and ever in the, in the eschaton with God. But until that time, God is building my life. Now we as a church, we exist to build lives that honor God, all for Jesus. That's why we exist. We're joining God in the change process. We're joining God in the change process. Now, when I say that, you would, (laughs) great. Pastors, does that mean you're never gonna leave us alone? Yes, that's what it means. Now, over the last three years, and that's, uh, it's been about three years that we've been together. We've, uh, I've got something in my, y'all bear with me. It is gone now, okay. Over the last three years, we've endured a lot of change as a church. Are y'all realizing that? Yeah, I think you have. Uh, We've experienced uh, structure change, system changes, style changes, look changes, vibe changes. Some of you have loved it. Some of you have endured it. Some of you have cried and complained about it. And some of your heads are still spinning. What's coming next, right? (laughs) Amen. It's okay. It's really okay. God has this, and we're trying to follow best we can as what he wants us to do. Now, when I talk to pastors, and I talk to a lot of pastors, and we talk about saying, Scott, how do you measure what God is doing? This is very interesting. In Baptist world, we always measure by these numbers. Uh, Behinds in the pew. 
bucks in the bank and baptisms in the water. Let me ask you a question. Can we control any of those? Can't control who shows up, can you? You can't control how much people give, can you? You might manipulate them and twist them, but you can't control that. You can't control who gets saved and who doesn't, can you? Then why in the world do we measure our effectiveness based on stuff that we cannot control? Maybe we should measure our effectiveness based on our heart, our attitude, and our submission to King Jesus. Pastor, those are hard to measure. Yeah, they are. And we measure life change. In fact, in in the game plan, if you go on our website and go down to resources, look at the game plan, you'll see the things that we measure here. Now, we always look at those things like people who attend, how much is given, and and who's baptized, who's saved. We look at those things as well because those are not isolated metrics. Those are important things to look at, even though we are not in control of those things. But we also look at engagement, at heart, at community impact, at global impact. We look at all these things because we want to be what God wants us to be. Today, I want, you to take, I, we, I want us to take a deeper look at life change God has for us out of the book of Ephesians. Now, we're preaching through Ephesians. I'm teaching through Ephesians. Last week, we were in chapter one, and then in the group time, we were in the remainder of chapter one. Now, today, we're in chapter two, and in the group time, you're gonna be in the remainder of chapter two. If you're not tracking with both gathering and group, you're gonna miss all of Ephesians. So let me encourage you to use our online resources that you can stay up to speed. We started our group last Wednesday night and one of our group participants said, Pastor, why in the world did you start with chapter one, verse one? I said, I did. You just weren't here. But instead of not shaming them, they, they had things going on. That's okay. God's not impressed with what you show up to. He's impressed what shows up in you. Y'all got that? And so uh, that's why we provide all these information online so you can track along with it. I hope you've also been taking advantage of the 21 days of prayer focus and the uh, devotional that Andrea has written for us. I've been walking with us, listening to the songs, uh, reading her reflections, looking at the passages she's provided. Also, I've been reading through the book of John. Uh, this morning, the reading of the book of John just been just like, what? I almost changed my message and preached out of John 12 today because of what's going on. But the truth is, I want you to know that we're providing these, this content, these resources, so God can change your life. Listen to me very carefully. God loves you now. He doesn't love some future form of you. He loves you now. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are right now. And he wants to build your life. So let's jump into Ephesians. Let's see what God says about change. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us today, and I pray that you speak through me. Then I'll be my words or my thoughts or even the pattern of my thinking, but your truth that leads us into the life change that helps us to live, that pushes us to live, offer you King Jesus. So thank you for what you're going to say and what you're going to do. And I pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. Now go ahead and take out your notes. You want to take some notes down on this. And let me guys remind you tomorrow night, we're going to eat uh, the fatted uh, wild game uh, tomorrow night. Watch a little football. So it's going to be a great time. Guys, come bring your sons, bring your friends. Uh, Girls, this is a guy gathering. We're not sexist at all. We're not, you just really don't want to be there. Just saying, Uh, just saying, we're going to eat things we shouldn't. And And so we're going to be there tomorrow night. So guys, look forward to that. Also tonight, we're having the installation of our new deacons. 
and our new advisory team at six o'clock. You're invited to come to that celebration. Hope you'll come to pray over these new leaders in our church structure. So that's tonight at six. So let's move on. And I want you to jot these notes down because I think it's really important. The first thing I want you to see, and this is something that you're going to go, what are you talking about? Listen to this. Before you came to Christ, you are a dead man, a dead woman. You're dead. You go, well, how can I dead? I'm alive. I'm alive. I was alive when my mama birthed me. I'm alive. I was alive before my mother birthed me. I was alive in my mother's womb. I, I, I'm alive. No, no, you were dead. Let me read. Paul says this. Once you were dead because of, of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of powers in the unseen world. In fact, Jesus calls us, get this, children of the devil. When I was in Canada, I was preaching on uh, not this topic, but another topic. And I said, we are literally children of the devil before we come to Christ. And the Canadians got offended. They got offended. Pastor, how could you call us children of the devil? Because that's what you are. And they were even more offended. I said, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. What Jesus said. And they went, oh, sorry. (laughs) They're still offended. But I hope this offends you. Because usually when we're identified for what we really are, it can lead to offense or it can lead to change. To change. You used to live this way, like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He is at work in the hearts of those. Now, the word heart there, cardio, cardia uh, from Greek, it was the center of your intellectual and your will decisions. The bowels were the center of emotion in the Greek world. The heart was the center of intellect and decisions based on the will. He's at work in your heart. Now, if we would say this in English, we would say he's at work in your brain. And your brain, because we, we understand brain is, but they understand heart is, and you'll talk to any good doctor, and they'll say it's all connected anyway. Heart, brain, arms, legs, it's all part of your whole body. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires of your very nature, of our very nature. That is a sin nature. But our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. You were dead. Really? Really. We're dead. You were so dead, you could not respond to spiritual things. Only the awakening of your heart through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's unction, could you even become aware of your need for God? That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it, is that as a parent, you're joining God and awakening your child to the need of Jesus. That's why we teach. That's why we gather. That's why we talk about life change. As I, as I preach, as I teach, hoping to awaken your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit to your need of change. Because you're dead. Jesus said this in the book of John. You can't even respond to me unless the Spirit of God woos you. Then he says this, if I am lifted up, which he was on the cross, I will draw all men to me. In other words, the Spirit is wooing you even now. Wake up. Wake up. In reading in John 11, Jesus is visiting the tomb of Lazarus. And he says to his disciples, 
his disciples said, um, we ought to go down there. Jesus said, Lazarus is asleep. They go, oh, he's asleep. I said, he says, no, boneheads, he's dead. And then he waits two days. And I saw something in my reading this week about Jesus waiting two days. Jesus loved them, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so he waited two days. What? I mean, if you, if you love somebody, hurry up. Get on your horse, Jesus. Get on down there, heal him, for he stinketh. No, because he loved them. It's the divine delay that often produces the awakening of your soul. That ought to be written down, tweeted out, perhaps. It's the divine delay. Because I don't know about you, I don't change when I see the light. I change when I feel the heat. It's that awakening. You cannot respond to spiritual things until you're awakening, and usually you're not awakened until you're desperate. And there's a word I like to use, zombies. We're literal zombies. Yep, I said it. You cannot correct the wrongs in your, in your life because you do not have the power of God to bring connection. All you do is eat each other's brains. And I've seen this in churches. Churches become zombies. When they refuse to change, they become zombies and they become toxic and they become dangerous to everyone around them and everyone in their community. When I speak to church leaders, I talk about the life cycle of a church and I talk about the birth of vision, the birth of passion and values and the systems and the functioning and the strategy and the disciple-making process. And then people turn, they become nostalgic, looking back on the good old days, forgetting what got them there. They start romanticizing what it was really like when it really wasn't that good, but they were romanticizing. Then they become polarized over stuff that doesn't matter. And then they become openly argumentative in warfare. And then they become zombies. They just become numb. They become numb. And then they die. And it takes about 40 to 50 years for a church to really actually die and close its doors. and shut down. And all it leaves is brokenness in its wake. Hmm. Revitalization in a church is a work of the heart. Revitalization in you is a work of the heart. Of the heart. Deadness, I want you to write this down. Deadness leads to disobedience. When you're spiritually dead, you become a person of disobedience. Paul calls them trespassers and sinners. In one translation, said you were consumed by your trespasses and sin, your disobedience. Because of your disobedience, your many sins. In one translation, said you were dead because of your trespasses and sins. I looked at that very interestingly and said, what does this mean? A trespasser is a lawbreaker. A sinner has the character of lawlessness. A trespasser is a lawbreaker. A sinner is one who has the character, the propensity for breaking the law. That it's a natural outcome of who you are is that you are rebellious and you're breaking the law. Deadness leads to disobedience. Disobedience then leads to depravity and depravity leads 
to death. To death. When I'm talking to parents of teenagers or parents of adult children, let me say this to you. Never tie your spiritual vitality to the behavior of your teenagers or children above teenage years. Thank you. You can't because they belong to God. But I want to say this to you. and I want you to hear it. I want to say this to everyone in the room. When you are where you should not be, you often do things you should not do. That should have got an amen. Let me repeat it. When you, wear, when you are where you should not be, you often do things you should not do. Thank you. That's right. Huh. And that results in being doomed. Now, now that I've made everybody feel so good about themselves, right? God hates sin, but he loves you. Listen to what he says. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. No judgment against anyone who believes in Jesus. No judgment. If you believe in Jesus, there's no judgment. Ain't that good? Now some of y'all are going, wait, 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 wait. I've been taught about that. That's what it says. No judgment. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light, that's Jesus, came into the world, but people love the darkness, that's the devil, more than the light, for their actions were evil because they're children of the devil. But all who did do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. Huh. Here's another thing to write down. Evil grows best in the dark, like mushrooms. I looked in the back of our refrigerator this week and found a bottle of ranch dressing that had turned into a, a, a science experiment. And so what I would normally do is taste it and get Tara to taste it and see if it went bad. No, I threw it away. Threw it away. Now, let me talk about spiritual warfare just a bit. And there were, there's going to be more on this coming later when we get to chapter 6. But just a bit. That Satan is the God of the air. He puts thoughts in your mind. He suggests things to you. He speaks to you. He's the one who gives temptation to you. And we know this, that there's no temptation given to man that God does not provide a way of escape. That he's provided a way of escape. You've got to look for the escape hatch. And spiritual warfare is always against the heart the righteousness, the head, the hands, the feet, the whole life. It's against all these things. And that's when you look at the armor of God, you look that we are fully protected by the Spirit of God when we place on his armor. And we'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 6. But I want you to know this. Revelation of your depravity can lead to revival or to rebellion. It's the condition of the heart that determines the response. What y'all think about that? It can lead to revival or rebellion. I can either get convicted and change or get mad and react. And y'all, I've been a pastor a long time and I've seen more of the latter than the first. More Christians who are conf confronted 
with their own bad behavior, even though they belong to the Lord, they're stuck in their trespasses and sin. They rebel instead of repent. And I pray that I will always be a repenter and not a rebellion, a rebel. Are y'all with me on that? Hmm. You see, but Jesus changes everything. He called my name and I ran out that grave. That's why we sang that today. Because he changes everything. Jesus does this for you. Let me tell you what he does. Listen to what Paul says. But God is so rich in mercy. He loves us so much that even though we are dead because of our trespasses and sin, or sin, it says in this translation, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. How in the world are we united with Christ Jesus? When we by faith accepted him as Savior and Lord of our lives. We're seated with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all the future ages as example of his incredible wealth, of his grace, his kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Wow. So I want to ask you a question. Who's God love more? Does he love me more than he loves you? No. Now some of you are shaking your heads no way too hard. No. He loves us. He even loves you dead folks out there. And he loves you enough to awaken you to repentance and to life in Christ. Wow. God has never met a man he doesn't love. Huh. He awakens us to our need of him. He said, hey, 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 get up. Wake up. He forgives us and he makes us alive. He calls us out of that grave. He gives us worth. Gives us worth. Tara and I are in the process of building a house. And uh, in that, you know, they dig through all your, the bowels of your belongings. Do you know that? They look at your net worth. What is your net worth? And I want to say, I'm worth a lot to God. I may not be worth a lot financially, but I'm worth a lot to God. And they said, well, Jesus ain't getting his home loan. You are. And the truth is, I am worth a lot. So are you. You are precious in his sight. You are precious in his sight. I want to ask you something. Are you brokenhearted? Take heart. The Lord is near. It's what the psalmist says. Are you grieving? God's a comforter. Do you need a healing? God's the healer. Do you need some encouragement? God's the encourager. In fact, the word for the Holy Spirit is parakletos, which means the one who comes alongside to encourage. He's the encourager. Do you need a rescue? God's a rescuer. Do you need some hope? He is our hope. 
Paul said this, when Christ who is our hope appear, we will be like him. Wow. All of this is promises of God because he loves us and he awakens us and he draws us to himself. He keeps us self-insecure, safe and secure from all alarms. He's proud of us. My dad used to say this to me every time I talked to him. Son, proud of you. Proud of you. I say this to my kids and my grandkids, even when their behavior is not worth being proud of. My iPad just went crazy. Even when their behavior is absolutely wrong, I'll say to them, I love you and I'm proud of you. I'm not proud of what you're doing, but I'm proud of you. Because every child needs to hear their daddy say, I'm proud of you. And your daddy God says, I'm proud of you. You're not perfect. He looks at me, Scott said, on your best days, you're a raging dumpster fire, but I'm proud of you. At least you're lighting up something and heating up something. (laughs) Proud of you. And he did all of this. You cannot take credit for it. You cannot take credit for it. Jesus does this in us, for us, and then through us. Let me read. This is the last part, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. So the Greek word there for masterpiece is poem, a poema. It means a, a, a work of art, that you are literally a work of art. That's why we, we are excited about displaying works of art. We have some works of art in the back. We have a new piece of artwork in the front. Uh, Chris Vaughn, who made the Hope Wall, has made another piece of art for us. It's displayed in the foyer. We, we love art. We love art, artistic display. We try to make our stage area look artistic to keep you engaged. We use the arts to touch the heart. Why? Because God is an artist. He's a creative. And we leverage those things. Do you know there was a time of day when the church had the corner on the art world? Did you know that? And we surrendered that. It's time for us to take back that claim. Wouldn't you agree? And the music that's written and the paintings that are painted, the sculptures that it's made, and the things are done all points to the great creator, King Jesus. And you are his finest piece of art. You can look at your spouse today and go, wow, you're a, you're a piece of work. <laughs> and mean it in a great way. Because we are a work of art. You are God's work of art. Part of his creative nature. It's personal. And I love this. It's a personal, internal, eternal plan for me and for you. Personal and eternal. From a loving father crafted by knowledge of me and love for me and you. You know, masterpieces take time. Did you know that? They don't just happen. Now, some people are creative. They can make things creative. Michelangelo didn't carve David in a single day. He didn't paint the Sistine Chapel in a single day. Uh, The other works of art, Handel wrote the Messiah in 40 days because he needed to get a paycheck, Dan. 
So sometimes desperation produces advanced creativity. Moses wasn't Moses at the burning bush. It took God 80 years to get Moses to listen to the bush and then another 40 years for Moses to become Moses. Hmm. Paul wasn't Paul on the Damascus Road. In fact, some of y'all are going to go, what? If you read through the Pauline letters, the epistles, you'll notice that his theology is becoming more robust from the writing of Thessalonians, which he wrote, wrote first, to the writings of Rome that he wrote last. And by the time he gets to Romans, it is the most thorough and great look at systematic biblical Christian theology ever been written, the book of Romans. Let me say you something else about that. 50% of Romans is application for your life. 50% of Romans is theology for your study. If your group is spending more time studying than they are applying, your group has got it wrong. Because God is not interested in your knowledge alone. He's interested in your application of that knowledge. And so we live out what we've learned. We live it out. I'll tell y'all a secret. Y'all want to know a secret? I preach for life change, not for information. Now, am I going to give you a lot of information? Yeah, there's a lot of fertilizer up here. But I want you to understand God is busy building a temple for himself out of the rough timbers of your soul. Peter wasn't Peter sitting on the fishing boat with Jesus that day. It took Peter time to become Peter. And he does this so we can do the good that needs doing in the world all for Jesus. So Jesus could gain the glory. I was watching Fox News today. And I was watching the um, protest in Iran. And one news media said they were mourning this, and the other news media said they were revolting against this. And since I don't speak Farsi, I have no idea what they were saying. But I do know this, they need Jesus. Do you know what cure terrorism? Jesus. You would cause us to beat our, our, our spears and swords into plows? Jesus. Tara and I went and watched a movie yesterday, 1917, about World War II. I'm not sure what the story was about, but I do. I sat there the whole time thinking King Jesus could have fixed World War I. I said World War II is World War I. He could have fixed World War I. He could have fixed World War II. And I think of that old spiritual, go to lay down my sword and shield, down by the riverside and study war no more. Because King Jesus has called the church to do the good in the world that needs doing instead of sitting in sanctuaries and soaking. Did I really just say that? You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There's good that only you can do. 
There's ministry only you can master. There are people only you can impact. What are you doing? What should you be doing? There's some of you saying, well, Scott, I'm too old. You're not too old to pray, are you? Because our mighty, our weapons are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds through prayer. Through prayer. So I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you several questions. What makes your heart beat fast? What do you love to do? Perhaps God could use that to do the good in the world that needs doing. What have you been prepared for in advance? What experiences have you had that God is preparing you for this time and place? I look at the coaching I'm doing with pastors around uh, the nation and even in Latin America and other places and, and saying, what in the world makes me uh, have this, ex- this knowledge? It's called experience, y'all. I'm one beggar telling other beggars where I found bread. I'm just a hunting guide, a fishing guide. It's all I am. And it takes a hunting guide and a fishing guide or a trail guide time to get out on the trail, get out in the game, get out in the water and understand where things are in order to lead other people to where they are. And that's what we are. Some of you have a great treasure trove of experiences in your life that you're not sharing. Please share it. Please give your life away. You know, this 21 days that we're in, 21 days of focus, I don't know how many of you are participating in it. I don't know if any of you are participating in it. I know I am. I know Tara and I are. We're asking God for his revelation, for him to show us where, what he's doing. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to take stock of our heart and our life. As we set aside things to focus on King Jesus, this is a great opportunity for us to say, what, God, what are you doing? What, what do you want me to do? How can I listen to your voice? How can I get clutter out of my life to listen to your voice? What can I do? You see, what I've discovered is this, is that when you say yes to Jesus before he asks, and if you do, it opens up possibilities for everything. Will you allow your passion to reveal your purpose. What do you really love to do? We were watching a show the other day about people who want a lot of money. And I looked at Terry and I said, what would you do if we were like bazillionaires? She said, I don't know. What would you do? I said, I'd be a pastor. I'd be a pastor. I train pastors all over the world. That's what I do. That's what I do. Because that's who I am. Terry said, well, I guess I'd go with you. (laughs) Yeah. What would you do? Life's too short to waste your life on things that don't matter. And the only thing that does matter is King Jesus and his kingdom. The change, it's an intimidating word. Nobody likes it. What needs to change in you? What is God doing in your heart, for your heart, and then through your life? I want to invite you, encourage you, 
to even start your 21 days of focus now, today. It does not have a shelf life. It just takes 21 days. And the launch is in your life to take stock of your heart and your life, to say, where am I? So I want to conclude today with some possible next steps. And they're going to be up on the screen. These are next steps for you and for me. Take off the grave clothes and put on grace. Maybe today is the day that you say, I'm no longer going to be dead in my trespasses and sin. I'm going to come alive in Christ. And in a moment, Pastor Scott, I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm going to go from being a church member to being a child of God who is a church member. Did y'all get that right? I'm going to take my next step of baptism. I'm going to step up and I'm going to take that card in front of me. I'll write down my name and my email and I'll say, I need to be baptized. I'm going to take my next step of going to the classes we offer and connect, grow, serve, and share so I can really find out what is the disciple-making process of this church. I'm going to step into membership. I'm going to step with others and grow. I'm going to step up and serve. I'm going to step out and share. I'm going to, I'm going to find out what this means. I'm going to take that. And you could do it today, by the way, today. We're going to serve you a sandwich. And then you'll watch a video of me teaching and then have a discussion. That's today. I'm going to come home to Jesus. And I'm going to stop being a trespasser. I'm going to stop being a sinner. I'm going to become a saint. I'm going to give my life to service by following my God-honoring passions for his glory. I'm going to find my place of ministry and I'm going to do it for the glory of God because God has created me a masterpiece for me to do the good things he had planned for me to do long ago. And I've been sitting on the bench and on my hands too long. I'm going to live all for Jesus. I'm going to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm yours. Now, I'm not telling you all this like I'm the guy that's got it all together because I don't. Because I'm going to make some of these commitments. In fact, I'm definitely going to make the last one. That I'm going to live all for Jesus. And I want to say, Jesus, I'm yours. And I want to say this, not in arrogance, but a lot of humility. Come follow me while I follow Christ. And let's together see God do something in this Wimberley Valley that if we were to tell us about it, tell us about it today, we would not believe it. What y'all think? Three amens over here, one over here, and this side's licking your lips and batting your eyes. Can I get an amen from over here? Well, this side got a revival going on over here. Let's go together.